Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Today, as in times gone by, educated people are in the vanguard where recognition of the value of tradition is concerned and are the first to raise the alarm when it is threatened. We are not at this moment considering the religious or spiritual experience of millions of individuals. The rite in question in its magnificent Latin text has also inspired a host of priceless achievements in the arts, not only mystical works, but works by poets, philosophers, musicians, architects, painters, and sculptors in all countries and epochs. 1971 statement by scholars, intellectuals, and artists living in England, later to become known as the Agatha Christie Indult. Hello and welcome to Born of Wonder. I'm Katie Marquette, and on this podcast, we explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. And hopefully, that um, beautiful music you've been hearing has been inspiring some wonder for you. That is an amazing piece by Louis Vierne, who was an organist at Notre Dame in Paris around 1900, and this record is a recreation of a solemn Tridentine Mass for Easter Sunday, not at Notre Dame, but at another church in Paris at St. Sulpice. It's just beautiful. Uh, it's really worth listening to the to the entire record. Um, I will put a link in the show notes to sort of the YouTube playlist, um, but you can also probably look it up. I know it's on Spotify, so worth listening to. Just absolutely beautiful. So today on the podcast, I wanted to um, introduce you to this very fascinating uh, bit of trivia, which is that Agatha Christie, the mystery writer, had a role in quote unquote saving the Latin mass uh, back in the day, uh, back in the 1970s. Um, I'm going to tell you about that story, and then I'm also going to just sort of frame this as, uh, you know, the importance of preserving uh, beautiful things in the world, not just as practitioners of a certain religion or religious tradition, but as appreciators of beauty. And there are certain things that are worth protecting as a cultural achievement and a cultural of cultural value to people of all faiths of no faith that there's something important that these that these traditions continue to exist in a world that is so so noisy and ugly much of the time uh, that these places of of sacred tradition are preserved i also uh want to say you know if you are catholic you know about many of the unfortunately sort of politicized and uh, dramatized discussions going on right now about the Latin mass. Uh, and I don't want this to be remotely political. I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. I don't want to 
uh, be seeming critical where I'm not being critical. This is just a celebration of something that I think is very, very beautiful, had a huge impact on me as a Catholic convert, and that I think is worth um, preserving, uh, worth worth discussing openly about the impact that it's had on our lives and uh, and and that that tradition and beauty and uh, are, are worth um, are worth fighting for so that's really what this is about uh, my friend who's not Catholic um, has come to you know has come to Novus Ordo masses has come to uh, a Latin mass with me before asked me when I was sort of ranting about liturgical reforms and traditions and how I was sort of bemoaning my inability to find a mass uh, near us that worked with the toddler's um, schedule that sort of filled me up in the way that when I was, you know, a freewheeling, uh, uh, you know, person without a, without a toddler living in the city, when I could go to these amazing, beautiful masses, um, many of them Latin masses, and just, uh, just sort of talking about that. And she, you know, coming from uh, more Protestant background, she just didn't know what I was talking about. What is the liturgy? Why is some why are why are some masses in Latin and others not? And why is that an obsession for people? <laughs> um, I'm presuming that many of you already sort of have a back background uh, understanding these ideas, but just. To, to to brief brief you on it, uh, just the idea of the mass as the sort of high point, right, of Catholic life, of the culmination, uh, the ultimate sacrifice of uh, that happens every single day, the recreation of um, the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, that we are all you know invited to participate in. That this is a very very solemn, very very important. Uh, occasion and um, dating back to the very very earliest Christians there are certain aspects that we we think um, happened as part of the mass very early on uh, and of course as time goes on certain traditions changed um, when when and how you received communion changed it was not always the norm to receive communion during mass um, there there are all kinds of changes that have happened throughout history so uh, if you hear somebody say, well, the Mass has always been the same, that's not true, and that's not really the argument that's being made for the preservation of what is sort of colloquially called the Latin Mass, but is really the Tridentine Mass, um, the pre-Vatican II Mass, uh, the Latin, the, but it's in Latin, so that's why people say that, but really Latin is referring to the Western Church, so Novus Ordo would be the Latin Mass, but <laughs> we're kind of getting into the weeds already, but the idea is that there has been sort of a clear evolution of, of the Mass. There are certain reasons why uh, why things are done the way they are done, including uh, liturgical music, uh, chant. Um, I talk about this a lot, and um, I would go back and listen, highly recommend you go back and listen to um, Dictatorship of Noise, a, uh, a sacred music and the Dictatorship of Noise. It was an episode I did. I included beautiful music, live music I heard at uh, the Baltimore Basilica and at the Brompton Oratory in London, uh, two places that are doing it right. Um, but I, I talk a lot about why um, why music in the liturgy is not just a matter of taste. I quote a lot from Pope Benedict's Spirit of the Liturgy. I talk about the tradition of chant going all the way back to the Desert Fathers and ascetics who would chant the Psalms uh, and the evolution of Gregorian chant and uh, all these sort of things that, that happen to sort of make the solemn high mass uh, what we know today. So. I'm just going that that's probably not an adequate, you know, introduction. Um, maybe if you are totally outside of this tradition, you're still very confused. But the point is, is that there are changes happening in the mass. There is uh, there are disagreements over 
what uh, what should be preserved, what shouldn't. Um, and unfortunately, um, things have become very politicized when uh, I think that there are people of all of all political and cultural beliefs that attend both uh, Novus Ordo, that's the post-Vatican II mass, and the Latin traditional mass. I think that there is a wide variety of types of people um, going to all those all those different masses, and it's really unfair of, um, of of people to make certain assumptions. I think about where people are coming from, and unfortunately, as with many of these things, it's just that prominent people, um, you know, who are not in official capacities <laughs> to talk on behalf of the church, uh, do walk around and talk on behalf of the church. So. <laughs> That's why people um, get certain impressions that are not true. But this is this is not about the politics. This is not about the drama. This is about celebrating something uh, beautiful. So I'm going to play uh, a lot from that from that record of Louis Vierne of that that solemn high mass uh, for Easter Sunday, so that you can sort of appreciate the beauty of the mass. Um, uh, and just while I'm thinking of it, I would also recommend if you're going back through the archive to listen to the interview I did with Rebecca Hamilton, who is a practicing Byzantine Rite Catholic, and the Eastern uh, tradition in the church is also so so beautiful um and we also get into a lot in there about how these different rites evolved and uh and, and what we make of them what she gets out of uh practicing in eastern rite churches uh and things like that i actually think people who practice eastern rite and people who um go to the traditional i'm, I'm just going to use the term latin mass but you know what i mean uh go to the traditional latin mass are sort of finding and um and seeking and uh the same thing out of these more uh, traditional high liturgies. And there are very, 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 very beautiful Novus Ordo masses. I have, I went for years to the Baltimore Basilica regularly. Um, that's where, you know, I, I became a Catholic. It's incredibly, they, they, their mass is beautiful. And actually what spurned this thought in my head to do this is that I actually literally had a nightmare last night. Um, that the mass at the basilica was that there was some like shirtless guitarist and <laughs> and all sorts of crazy uh liturgical abuses going on and i we had taken uh jojo there and it was so loud and she was crying and i was just like dying inside wanting to hear the gloria that i knew and love and so obviously this is on my mind it's stressing me out so <laughs> So uh, I just wanted to tell you this story about Agatha Christie and um, and maybe just discuss a little bit more about what the cultural uh, value is of the Latin Mass. But before launching into that, I just want to remind you to visit bornofwonder.com to find out more about the podcast, um, read essays and blog posts. I have a decent amount of essays on there about the Latin Mass. I wrote one about rediscovering the liturgy during Advent when we went to, to Latin Mass uh, all throughout Advent. I talk about uh, Rorate Mass, which is beautiful. It's uh, it, it's it's a high Latin mass during Advent uh, when you go before dawn and you're holding sitting there with a candle and there's no other lights on and the idea is that right at the consecration is right when the sun comes up and that is how it happened it's just pouring in through these stained glass windows so I talk about those traditions on the blog you can read about that um, if you'd like to become a patron of the podcast you can go to uh, my Patreon page, which I've linked in uh, the show notes and which I need to add to the website, which I will do uh, soon. So maybe by the time you go there, it will be there as well. 
And you can follow me on Instagram, Born of Wonder. Uh, I'm sort of on and off there right now. I'm sure I'll be off again as soon as some fall weather arrives. <laughs> um, yes, I, you know, we're, we're slogging through. We're slogging through. We're getting there, right? So... So let's launch in. Let's uh, let's let's start this discussion. We'll start with Agatha Christie, and I will um, I will include here some more beautiful chant music from uh, the Latin Mass. So Agatha Christie, the queen of mystery, what on earth does she have to do with the Latin mass? Well, we are going to find out. Um, I, I'm going to read you here from a little bit of an essay that I wrote with uh, with the title, um, How Agatha Christie Saved the Latin Mass. So we'll just start there. Um, a sharp mind like Christie, so clearly so attuned to the profundity of life and death and the human need for restitution, certainly reflects a religious understanding of the world. The moral assumptions of a good mystery are distinctly theological. Christie herself was baptized into the Church of England, and she attended services regularly her entire life. She's been described as quietly devout by biographers, preferring to keep her religious life, along with much of her personal life, out of the public eye. It is certain, though, that Christie valued her Christian faith. Like her famous detective Jane Marple, Christie kept a copy of The Imitation of Christ on her bedside table, often reading a chapter before bed. In her autobiography, Christie conveys a sophisticated understanding of Christian theology, remembering the sudden interruption of a math lesson by her teacher. Quote, all of you, she said, every one of you will pass through a time when you will face despair. If you never face despair, you will never have faced or become a Christian or known a Christian life. To be a Christian, you must face and accept the life that Christ faced and lived. You must enjoy things as he enjoyed things. Be as happy as he was at the marriage at Cana. Know the peace and happiness that it means to be at harmony with God and with God's will. But you must also know, as he did, what it means to be alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, to feel that all your friends have forsaken you, that those you love and trust have turned away from you, and that God himself has forsaken you. Hold on, then, to the belief that this is not the end. If you love, you will suffer, and if you do not love, you do not know the meaning of a Christian life. Years later, those words were to come back to me and give me hope at a time when despair had me in its grip. So what a great, great quote there from Agatha Christie quoting her math teacher. So teachers, you have an incredible impact on people. So think about what you say. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. So how did Agatha Christie, a member of the Church of England, play a part in saving the traditional Tridentine Mass? When the Mass of Pope Paul VI, the post-Vatican II Mass, was introduced, a group of English Roman Catholics, along with many non-Catholic intellectuals, writers, artists, petitioned the Pope to allow for the optional continued use of the rite in England and Wales. Among the signatories was none other than the famed Queen of Mystery, Agatha Christie herself. 
This letter, sent to the Pope in 1971, has since become known as the Agatha Christie Indult. Indult is a term from Catholic canon law referring to permission to do something that would otherwise be forbidden. What makes this letter so interesting, other than the obvious connection to such non-Catholic literary celebrities such as Christie, is the emphasis put on the cultural and artistic value of the Latin Mass. The traditional Roman Catholic Mass stands as a stalwart against an influx of dehumanizing developments that characterize modern life. Quote, in the materialistic and technocratic civilization that is increasingly threatening the life of mind and spirit in its original creative expression, the word, it seems particularly inhuman to deprive man of word forms in one of their most grandiose manifestations. The letter also emphasizes the role of artists and intellectuals in protecting and preserving tradition. And that uh, is the quote that I included at the beginning that goes, Today, as in times gone by, educated people are in the vanguard where recognition of the value of tradition is concerned and are the first to raise the alarm when it is threatened. And I will include a link to the full letter in the show notes. Christie, a traditionalist, a Christian, a writer, clearly saw the value of the Tridentine Mass as a matter of interdenominational concern. While she was certainly not the only non-Catholic signatory, she was arguably the most famous. And so the story goes that upon seeing the celebrated mystery writer's name, the Pope exclaimed, Ah, Agatha Christie, and decided to grant the request. We take this story with a grain of salt, of course, but nonetheless, I'd like to formally thank Agatha Christie for her part in protecting and preserving the Tridentine Mass for future generations. After attending the Latin Mass for the first time a few years ago, I understood exactly what Christie's beloved Hercule Poirot meant when he exclaimed, ah, but the why must never be obvious. The Mass often leaves newcomers confused and a little lost, if also a little in awe. But I now realize perhaps that is the point, and perhaps that is what Agatha Christie loved so much as well. I remember frantically flipping through the missile and trying to follow along with the mumbled chants and gestures. Eventually I gave up and simply let myself be washed away and into the mystery. And a quote here from The Murder on the Orient Express. The impossible could not have happened. Therefore, the impossible must be possible, in spite of appearances. So I just love this story. I love this story of writers and intellectuals, Catholics and non-Catholics alike, just recognizing um, the incredible cultural value of the traditional Latin Mass, and uh, and and preserving it, and and saying that this was actually sort of a important stalwart. That this the existence of this Mass, uh, whether or not you went to the Mass as a practicing Catholic or not, just the existence of this Mass uh, was was. A sort of barrier against a dehumanization happening in the world. There are so few places in the world that you can go and really feel outside of yourself. There are so few 
um, thin places left in the world to use the sort of um, traditional Irish idea of uh, Celtic idea of, of thin places, the places where um, the veil between this world and other worlds is, is thinnest. And I think that um, beautiful Catholic churches are one of those places. And certainly attending a, um, a high Latin mass is a thin place. Anyone who has been to one, maybe they were disoriented, maybe they were intimidated, but I don't think anybody could deny the unbelievable beauty and also just the feeling of being um, in, in, in another world of, of, of just a that there's something beyond this, that, that, that people practice this, that there is this level of uh, tradition going on. Uh, just this, this matters immensely to people. It matters a lot to me. Uh, I have, you know, whined about this on social media before, but I really, really, really struggle with the fact that we have not found um, a place, a, a church that uh, really does the liturgy the way that um, I want them to. <laughs> don't mean it to sound like that, but that um, my my faith life really struggles when I'm I don't have access um, because I'm clearly somebody who experiences has great um, need for beauty for for um, aesthetic experiences and a huge part of my conversion was the aesthetics of the Catholic Church. That is what drew me in. I was abs- I was blown away by it. I remember the first time you know hearing the full choir, you know, singing Gloria and uh, going to my first Easter Vigil Mass and just these extremely, extremely beautiful traditions, hearing uh, Gregorian chant, uh, you know, in a Mass. uh, These were immensely powerful experiences, going to adoration in the middle of the night and hearing hearing the priest chanting. uh, These were really, really powerful, powerful experiences to me. And I think that a lot of people feel this way. And I don't really understand why um, why this is problematic. I think it is unfortunate, again, the politicization that something that is clearly should be something unifying that it was here back in the 70s when people, you know, felt similarly that this mass, this tradition, this right was being threatened, that they would look at it and say, I don't care what religious background you're from, this is beautiful and it deserves to be protected. And I, I hope that there's a way that we can all sort of get behind that, whether you are a, you, you love contemporary worship music, you're all about it, you are a much more Novus Ordo style person, totally fine, absolutely, that's okay. Um, but maybe there's still room uh, for you to appreciate the importance of this other right, this very traditional right existing and thriving. Um, and I will say that, you know, these Latin mash parishes, they're young, you know, they have their kids and families. And um, most young people I know who are practicing, who are serious about their faith would absolutely would love to have a Latin mass parish near them would and if the, and I know people who drive you know well over an hour to get to a Latin mass and maybe when you know I have kids that are maybe just past the you know need a nap at a certain point stage we will just make the drive because we do have an amazing Latin mass parish within driving distance but um, you know it's just a little too much right now with the little one but I I, I think it's worth it you know and people people are fighting for this. So I hope that um, that maybe this this I think that we need to talk about it openly. That if if this right has had an impact on us, um, especially I think my my husband and I were talking about this. Especially if you're um, a woman, actually, uh, and 
that that like this is important to you that that women in the church were are like craving this sort of level of tradition in the liturgy i think that um the spirit of vatican ii so much beauty in vatican ii so much goodness there's lots of podcasts podcasts out of there that go deep into um all that vatican ii has to offer and whether certain things have been interpreted certain ways or not is sort of up for debate but i think that that evangelization spirit uh has maybe been misconstrued because i think the uh evangeliz- evangelization is happening in in these spheres of extreme uh beauty of extreme uh tradition uh there, there's a great article that was a few years ago now um called weird christians in the new york times and it was talking all about um anglicans and christians young people um catholics who either were converts or were rediscovering these ancient rites and that 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 these were overwhelmingly young communities that were that were practicing and encouraging these sort of ancient rites and traditions and i think this is just part of this bigger trend of just sort of craving continuity in a world that has been obsessed with severing things and of everything has to be new and fresh and um you know we have enough uh <laughs> we have like sort of enough loudness and uh superficiality in like every other area of our life i think that actually going to a you know two hour plus long high latin mass where we are fidgeting in our creaky pew listening to a priest turned away from us uh toward the altar sort of muttering in latin in this uh incense filled church is actually so appealing and so needed to all of us who are living sort of frenzied tech obsessed lives we desperately desperately desire and need these places of continued quiet and uh, a real connection to a tradition uh, to to a real living tradition um so i think that uh yeah those are my thoughts on it my sort of rambling thoughts in the wake of this nightmare that i had (laughs) Um, if you have thoughts about this, please feel free to email me or message me. I'd love to hear about them. I don't know. Maybe we can all write a letter. We can write. We can be the next uh, indult. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We need to find somebody pretty famous, uh, that, you know, to, to, to get their name attached, right? So we have who, who's the Agatha Christie that we need uh, to attach to this this letter here. But um, I do think that, the, that there's room for discussion and room for um you know, appreciating these things, fighting for them. And, uh, yeah. And if you also, if you have any advice for sort of, uh, getting through, um, finding, uh, like, how do you, how do you get to mass with a toddler? Uh, especially if it's a far away mass, how do you, I would love to take her to a Latin mass, but those are long. How, how does that work? I know I see these big families with like five kids and it's gotta be somebody's nap time, but they're all at the Latin mass. So if you have secrets about this, please share them with me. I would love to know them. Uh, so uh, also feel free to message me about that. Uh, on a totally different note, I just wanted to say it, I was on another podcast um, of my friend Beth Jameson. Uh, I've had her on the podcast. She was my guest for talking about Kristen Laverne's daughter, amazing person. She has a great podcast, A Well-Read Life. We have so much fun chatting, and we talked on her podcast all 
about how motherhood changed the way we read and the kind of books we love and just our experience of motherhood and reading and everything like that. It was so much fun and it is out today. It's out on um, the Tuesday that I am releasing this episode. So you can go and look that up. I'll put a link to it in in the show notes once it airs. Um, So that's something fun to look up. And uh, that's really all I've got for this week. I hope it was thought provoking. Um, Again, you can listen to this beautiful recreation of an Easter Sunday high Latin mass. and uh, I will end, end the episode with that, with some more beautiful music. So be inspired, fight for good things. I'm Katie Marquette. This is Born of Wonder. Here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. <laughs>